0: You'll find uh, Acts chapter 18. I haven't been here for a month, but I have an excuse. <laughs> uh, we were down in Lapine for two weeks um, in a row, one time speaking, one time just down there fellowshipping with the saints, and, and then we were out of town another week. So it's been a month since we've been here, and I want to tell you, uh, you guys are a sight for sore eyes. I mean, it's really great to be back here with you. We miss you. We miss this place when we're not here. And, of course, with pastors moving back and forth like we're doing now, we all, I guess, got to get a little bit used to that. Um, but I'm, I mean this in the bottom of my heart. It's welcome. It's so welcoming uh, and so wonderful to come back and, and, and be here with you again. We missed you a lot. So uh, in the last... I don't know, a month or so, something has happened to me, or I've fallen into something that I thought that I would never fall into. And that's binge watching. Uh, we, we, we came, uh, locked onto a, a Netflix, uh, movie. And, well, I think it's binge watching. How many do you have to do in a row before it's binge watching? I think we've done three. And I think that probably qualifies where you sit there and you just like this and you end up and you know first thing you know it's nine thirty and you go, Wow, where did where did the time go? So anyway, but it's the the series is called Longmire. Has anybody seen Longmire here? Okay. All right, so aha. All right. We'll we'll have confession after the service. But anyway, uh it's about a sheriff in Wyoming in Absaroka County. And uh one of the main characters in um Longmire, was the deputy sheriff, Branch Connolly is his name. So Branch is an interesting character because he, at least at the beginning of the series, he's actually running for sheriff against his boss, who he really admires and respects and all of that. And so that plot develops, you know, for the first several shows. And then, and also to make things more complicated, then Branch Connolly is also involved with the sheriff's daughter. So the plot kind of thickens and he's, He's one of the main characters, right? We like Branch. He's a cool guy. He's young, bright, you know, and, and he's just just kind of one of those attention-getter kind of guys. And then he dies. And you go, what? what? I mean, one of the main guys is gone. I mean, it just... It, this can't happen, right? What's going to happen now to the rest of the story? I mean, where's it going to go from here? It's ruined. It's not the way I would have written it. And the reason I bring that up, that he was actually written out of the script, is because ever since Acts chapter 13, which would be about five chapters back, and for about a period that would amount to maybe four years if we took it chronologically, the main character in the story of Acts has been the Apostle Paul. I mean, his missionary trips and, you know, and, and all of that and, and all the things that happened to him have revolved around him. But 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 today, here's a spoiler alert, he's written out of the script. So as we read, would you notice with me how deliberately the writer of Acts signals that Paul is exiting the spotlight? With the main character out of the story... What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to the progress of the gospel? What's going to happen to his friends? What's going to happen to the fellowship of believers? Let's pick up and read in Acts chapter 18, verse 18. Acts 18 and 18. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila, in Centuria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a wh- longer time, he did not consent. But taking, leave, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures, Jesus was a Christ. Paul, if you count him, leaves five times in the passage. He says there, he left, he's there, he left, he's there, he left. It's like Luke is laboring to let us know that Paul is out of the picture. Who was the main character up until now? But you see, after Paul's message to the philosophers in Athens, he he came a little bit further down to the Greek Peninsula to Corinth, which is which, unlike most of the cities that he had visited, well, really unlike any of them, it was a city of a half a million people. I mean, it was one of the most important cities outside of Rome commercially speaking, in the world. And there he stayed with Aquila and Priscilla, who were refugees from Rome. Because um, one of the emperors, a guy by the name of Claudius, had expelled all of the Jews from Rome a few years earlier. All of them had to go out. And it was here in, in, in Corinth that he had a vision and in that vision, the Lord encouraged Paul to keep speaking and guaranteed to Paul that no one was going to attack him or harm him. Well, as usual, Paul went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And though many believed and were baptized, it says, the Jews formed a mob and brought Paul before the territorial leader, a guy by the name of Gallio. But Galio would not bend to the desires of the Jews. Who, and they, wanted, they wanted the Roman authorities to, to persecute and to prosecute Paul, or at least allow them to. But Galio wouldn't listen to it. He just said, that's your own business. I'm not interested. But Paul, in today's story, is, is actually written out. And our story today is, is about people, about how God used people in Paul's absence. Very different people. There's a highly educated man we're going to run into from North Africa and a married blue-collar couple that, like I said, were refugees from Rome. And their lives intersect in Ephesus. But before I talk about this man and this couple, I'd like to first take a look at Paul's decision to leave Corinth. If we look back in verse 10 of this chapter, to the vision that I talked about where where the Lord guaranteed him that there would be no one attack him and no one would harm him. You know, if you you look at Paul's past, over, over the past, you see mobs, you see riots, you see injury, you see stonings, you see imprisonments. But here he's guaranteed safety. That had to sound pretty good. That's in Corinth. But he left. In Corinth it says in verse 8 that, that many of these Corinthians believed and were baptized. So that, so not only was he safe, but his ministry was enjoying success. And when he got to Ephesus, in, in verse 20... It says that the Jews in the synagogue ask him to stay. Now, if you remember what's happened with Paul in synagogues, that like hasn't happened since never. (laughs) They ask him to stay. He's got an invitation to stay. Why would he leave? Why would he leave his friends why would he leave a successful ministry? Why would he leave, uh, uh, guaranteed safety? I think he, well the Bible says that he left for Syria, which is a kind of a code word for the church that, that, that sent him years before was in Antioch. It was a commending church. And so he left to go back to give that church, which he thought was very much a part of his ministry, a report like he had before, and then go back and kind of retrace his steps through Galatia to, to to strengthen the churches. But, I think we need to recognize that comfort and safety and friends and even success were not the parameters by which Paul made his life decisions. I think, since he had been in Corinth for approximately a year and a half, I think Paul was just restless. You see, God had set him apart as a mission pioneer and he was eager to get on with it and press on now he knew that likely that there was going to be more trouble ahead more imprisonments more resistance more threats more danger when he left on what was going to be a 1200 mile journey but he left he left Because Paul was called to conquest, not to comfort. Called to conquest, not to comfort. Too often we make decisions based solely on comfort and safety. We find a a kind of a happy place in our lives where where it's, it's safe and it's comfortable and we're not getting pushed and we're not getting challenged and we're not getting stretched. And the temptation is just to roll down the anchor and stay there. And it's not that comfort is bad, but when it becomes the only place that we look for God's will, it can be. Paul and Susan Brown are a great inspiration, I think, to a lot of us. They had a successful pastorate by any measure in Oklahoma. I mean, years and years and years of service at the same church. I mean, you know, troopers, soldiers. They get to retirement age. They had successful ministry. They raised a family. And okay, it's time to kick back and retire, right? But instead, they moved to Thailand. People my age moving to Thailand, taking on orphans into their home, traveling over distances with roads that, according to Sai, you would not believe these roads and the, and the dangers and the diseases and the inconveniences and all the lack of comfort. But they did that. Why? Same reason as Paul. They were running a race with endurance to get the prize, and there is a prize. Now, not everyone is called to what Paul or even the Browns have done. But don't make comfort your default setting for life decisions. Paul was willing to suffer loss for what he called in Philippians, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. There is something much better than comfort and safety. And that's sharing in the fellowship, even the glory of suffering for Christ. I think after a year and a half of relative peace, Paul was just longing to leave the safety and comfort to press on in his calling. And that's a good example for us because he knew that there was something better than comfort. I mean, he had something in his ministry then that he'd never had before. But he left. And that brings us a little closer to home, really. Really? Because in the last few months here between Three Rivers and Lapine, for many, uh, our, our, our church environment here hasn't been as comfortable as we would like it to be. It's not been like it was before. It's not familiar. We like to have. We've heard from time to time it was really nice when we have all of the pastors here together, and it is, and we like that. It's familiar. It's comfortable. It's not like it was, though, is it? Because we have pressed in as a church into uh, an area that God's called us where, you know, there's new relationships, there's new risks, there's new opportunities, and God's going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting for this thing to work out. But it's really, in a lot of ways, not comfortable. But, you know, like Paul, we're not called to comfort, but to conquest. The gates of hell speak of conquest, not comfort. And then he says in verse 21, he says, I will return to the Ephesians, who he's also leaving, right? I will return if God wills. With Paul, there was no assumption that God's will. There was no assumption that God's will was the easy thing, the obvious thing. Or the attainable thing. All the stuff that was laying right in front of him. You see, God had a different plan that no one could see. All they could see was Paul going out the door. It was an unknown man from Alexandria who would strengthen the Corinthian church and later the Ephesian church. And Paul himself would travel in distant lands. The reminder here is that even though this guy, at the time all these decisions were made, were unknown, God had already raised up a man. Because God has people and resources that we don't even know about. And in another vein, in in this comfortable place in this ministry, Paul could have thought, you know, I can't leave because this ministry depends on me. The opportunity here is going to wilt and go away. So I have to stay. Because I'm, nobody likes to use this word, but I'm indispensable. (laughs) And it's Mark Twain, I think, that reminded us that graveyards are full of indispensable people. (laughs) But could it be that God had someone else, someone even better suited to the particular task of refuting the Jews and strengthening the brothers in Corinth than Paul. Because I think it's interesting, if you look in the, in the text, when Paul was, was dealing with the Jews in Corinth, he threw up his hands, he shook the dust out of his garments, which was a, just a sign of disgust and like, I'm done with this. And he threw up his hands. And if you look at the very last verse in our passage, last verse in this chapter, it says that, that Apollos powerfully refuted the Jews. So he was able to do something by God's grace that even the Apostle Paul was struggling with. So Apollos, let's turn to this guy. It says that he was from Alexandria. Now outside of Rome, Alexandria was probably the second most important city in the world. It's on coastal North Africa. It used to be the capital, actually, of Egypt. It was named after Alexander the Great. But the the remarkable thing about Alexandria is that it was known for its education and, in particular, its library. Because at the time, way back then, it was a library of 400,000 volumes. And the home also of many philosophers, Philo being one of them best education available it was out of alexandria that the that uh, a, a group of 70 scholars jewish scholars translated the new testament into uh, translated the old testament into greek called the septuagint that came out of alexandria and the bibles that you have in your lap This morning, if it's a modern translation, many of the manuscripts, the partials, what they call uncials, the minuscules, and things like that, uh, the the, the information, a lot of it, has found its way to your lap this morning out of Alexandria. Important place. And people (laughs) that were educated there were thought to be like Harvard grads. So when you see Apollos, think of him as the, the guy from Harvard. He's got god it all, education-wise. This guy had an impressive resume, but a serious shortcoming. It says that he was, in his resume, that he was eloquent, that he was mighty in the Scripture, that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in the Spirit. He was an accurate teacher. And we don't even know how the Word of God got to Alexandria. Maybe, how it got to Africa for that matter, maybe it was the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip led to the Lord earlier in Acts. We don't know. But here comes this guy that his resume is just stacked that God has raised up. But he also had a shortcoming, a serious shortcoming, that he knew only the baptism of John. Now, when at the time of the crucifixion of Christ and 40 days later at, at, at Pentecost and, 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 and all the persecution that broke out in Jerusalem, uh, bits and pieces of information about the Messiah and John and his baptism and all of that stuff had kind of flown out across the Roman Empire. And some people were working with incomplete information, just like we are today. Because the Bible was not completely encoded at that point. And so what the, the what what the Scripture tells us is that he was familiar only with the baptism of John, which is a baptism of repentance and faith in some coming Messiah. It's not that what he taught was wrong, it was just incomplete. It acknowledged in the repentance part. Man's failure to keep God's law, but it only gave kind of a fuzzy hope in a coming Messiah. And so, armed with this, Apollos is in the synagogue boldly preaching a message that was incomplete. As a matter of fact, it was incomplete, omitting the main point, which is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this guy wasn't arrogant but he was humble, because if you can picture this, when when a Priscilla and Aquila come to, to kind of teach him the way of God more accurately, you've got this Harvard grad here sitting in his robes and all that stuff, and a blue collar tent maker and his wife filling him in. They did it respectfully, they did it privately they explain more accurately the word of God about Jesus. And I love this because it, in, in verse 25, it says that, that before uh, Apollos was preaching the way of Jesus. It's, it's the way. It's, it's, it's about how to get there. And in verse 28, it says that he was proclaiming Jesus himself. That's kind of like the final point, right? Because that's the that's the point of preaching. The main point of of preaching is the person and the cross of Christ, and the goal of the gospel is to bring sinful men into union, eternal union, with God Himself. And that's the part that that Alexander that um, Apollos didn't know about. That union with Christ is accomplished through faith. And Apollo was short on that essential point. But Priscilla and Aquila were able to come and fill in the blanks. Who would have thought that one up? He wasn't, he wasn't self-willed either, Apollos wasn't. He was submissive. Because once he got the message, he got the whole picture. He didn't just say, I'm launching for Corinth. I've got this. I can do this. I'm on my way. But he waited. And he received the blessing and recommendation of the Ephesian brothers to send him. He waited. He submitted. Waited for this letter. Waited for a greeting. Waited for a blessing. You know, sometimes very gifted people are self-willed and self-directed and refuse to humble themselves but think that their gifts will carry them they won't they won't god opposes the proud even the gifted christian proud but gives grace to the humble and it's interesting it says that when he went over there that god did a great work in him by grace by grace priscilla and aquila flexibility in serving Refugees from Rome. Emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jews, and that was an ugly scene from Rome because Rome was... Uh, this, this, by the way, is in between... Uh, uh, Claudius finds his way in between Caligula, who was a mess as a Roman emperor, and Nero, who was a worse mess. And at the time, there was a famine, and there was political unrest and all that stuff, and, and, and Claudius decided to blame all of that on the Jews... So they expelled them. And if, at the time, uh, Priscilla and Aquila were Christians, that was considered by the Romans to be just a sect of Judaism. So you're out too. So think about that. So think about an edict to come in to blow you out of town. Your your home is gone. uh, You are away from... Well, you don't even have a home. You can't write home because there's no home there anymore. None of your people are there. Everything's gone. It's devastating. And they found their way down the peninsula, or I should say down the Grecian peninsula to um, Corinth where they hooked up with Paul. What they'd experienced was a, a setback. Now, you know, Priscilla and Aquila, they were fellow laborers with Paul as tent makers, but they likely supported Paul when, when he went full time. And here they come in, at the beginning of our story, they come down to Ephesus ready to set up shop with Paul, only to be summarily left alone by him because Paul's written out of the story. But they weren't incapacitated by their former setback of being expelled from their home or coming to, Ephesus only to see Paul leave they overcame they were not incapacitated by their setbacks you know some well all of us experience setbacks and some folks never recover from them they live in the devastation some of you have not recovered from life's upheavals and fail to see the sovereign hand of God or take advantage of the opportunities that the setbacks present. But that's not what Priscilla and Aquila did. They saw that even in the trouble that this caused God's sovereign hand, and they were willing to plug in in any kind of ministry any way that they could. You know, there's two Roman... Em- there, where there's two important political officials in this story. One of them is Gallio, who in Corinth, as, as the Roman territorial magistrate, he said, okay, Jews, hands off Paul. I'm not interested. Just, and guaranteed his safety. And you go, wow, that's great. We see the hand of God in that. But there was another political figure, and that was Claudius. And he expelled the Jews from Rome. And that caused a lot of trouble, a lot of pain, a lot of setback, a lot of turmoil. But that too was the providence of God. Because it was that that propelled Priscilla and Aquila into their encounter with Paul. God had a very small but crucial role for them in helping Apollos without these tent makers, this working class couple from Rome, Apollo's message would have fallen short. There was no Paul there. They were working without a net. And yet they stepped into it. They were ready because they accepted the providence of God in their life's difficulties and were willing to plug in. No small role was too small, role for, too small for them. You see, they were flexible. They had been teachers for Apollos, but they had been learners from Paul. They had been tent makers and supporters and even served as Paul's hosts, willing to step into whatever role. You know, the small roles are sometimes crucial. Has anybody here ever heard of Edward Kimball? I thought not. I hadn't either. But Edward Kimball played a very small but very significant role. He was the man who approached Dwight L. Moody when he was 18 years old, when when Moody was working in the back room of his uncle's boot store in Boston. And by Kimball's own words, he said he gave, quote, a very weak appeal to Christ, but Moody was converted. And through Moody, hundreds, thousands, perhaps millions of others. Small roles. Now, Apollos and Priscilla, or excuse me, Priscilla and Aquila were neither jealous nor were they intimidated by Apollos. They weren't educated like Apollos. They were not qualified to refute Jews in the synagogue. But don't let the opportunities that you don't have blind you to the ones that God is providing. I don't know how many times, I'm sure you hear it too, but in the pastor you hear this a lot from people. You say, you know, if I could just, or if I had this thing, or if I didn't have that thing in my life, then things would really be different. This whole story demonstrates the providence of God. About the Paul time Paul leaves Ephesus, unbeknownst to anyone, this exceptionally gifted, well-educated man shows up. We don't even know why he came to Ephesus. For us, he appears out of nowhere, but he didn't come out of nowhere. God had prepared him for just this time. He was the perfect guy for the job. After being driven from their home, who would have thought that two working-class immigrants from Rome would play such a crucial role in the spread of the gospel in Asia and Europe. That's the way God writes His script for our lives in unsearchable wisdom and unanticipated blessing. When God unexpectedly writes the main characters, the main things out of your life, don't despair. He's preparing to reveal to you His better script for your story. You know, with the success and the safety and the invitation to stay longer at the synagogue in Ephesus, none of us, I don't think, would have written Paul out of the story. But God is writing this story. And God is writing your story. Some of you have suffered the experience of God writing the main characters and the main things out of your life. It's a painful and bewildering loss. But it's when our script unravels that the glory of God's plan begins to emerge. And it seems like we have to keep learning two things. And they always seem to come as surprises, though they shouldn't. The first thing is that God's script is not like ours. And the second thing is that his script is better than ours. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Lord, we give you thanks today that You have higher thoughts and higher ways than we do. And Lord, we pray that, that as these things that You script out of our lives, Lord, that we depend on so much, as they go away, Lord, that, that You'd help us to look to You to realize, Lord, that it's, it's not that the script is gone, it's not that there's no story is that there's a better one coming. Give us, Lord, faith to believe that, to walk in that, and to take advantage, Lord, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ of all of the opportunities that You give us. And we give You thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.